Welcome to Empowered Mind Body Inspiration. The mind is the map to wholeness, wellness, health. The heart is the key to genius and inspiration. Join me and my guests as we explore how to release and rewire into who you truly are unique, whole, and empowered. Please like, share, and subscribe. Spiral up, spiral out. Hi, everyone. Today we have Victor Brurier. Victor is an Ayurvedic doctor and co-founder of Pacific Coast Ayurvedic. We're going to find out just what is Ayurvedic medicine and how is it different from Western medicine? We're going to get to some important tips from an Ayurvedic perspective, find out what doshas are, and learn all about the vagus nerve and the mind-body connection. Exciting stuff. Let's see how this spirals out. Welcome, Victor. So good to have you here. Hey, Jane. Thanks for having me. So, Victor, tell us your story and how you became so interested in Ayurvedic medicine. And then I would love to you to share what Ayurvedic medicine is all about. I became interested in Ayurvedic medicine not probably until I was the age of 24, which was about 11 years ago. And I grew up in Los Angeles, a very kind of just basic mindset around health, which is you eat okay and hopefully you don't get sick. And if you do get sick, you go to the doctor and hope that they got something for you. And that's life. That's health. So I grew up in that mindset. So when I hit the age of 18 or so, I started getting a health issue. I started getting this like nagging pain in my uh, shoulder blade. And when I tell the story, I always tell, you know, the pain wasn't that bad. So it wasn't like I needed to go to the hospital. It wasn't like I couldn't function. I could live my life, but it was there and it was always present. And it wasn't, I'd never felt right. I never felt okay. I never felt like happy. You know, there was always this pain there. So I started doing what I knew how to do. I started going to doctors and I was at UCLA Um, which is a big, famous medical center in Los Angeles. Um, And, you know, basically, I just, I went, the first thing is x-ray. Okay, x-rays come back normal. MRI, okay, MRI, come back to normal. Uh, Okay, do an EKG. EKG comes back normal. Um, Or sorry, not EKG, EEG. Do EEG, comes back normal. Long story short, doctors kept passing me to other doctors, tried some physical therapy. It helped a little bit, but didn't get rid of the problem. One time after a doctor was looking at my file neurologist, he looked at it, he saw the history that has been going on for two years now. And he's like, okay, look, the reality is you're not a crisis case. This is just going to keep happening. You're just going to keep being passed off from doctor to doctor because no one's going to say no, right? You've got pretty much two options. You can either have surgery And it would be kind of like an exploratory surgery because we don't really know what's going on. Or you could take painkillers. Those are your two choices. So I was not happy with that. I was 19. I liked being physical. I liked being active. I kind of had some vague idea that painkillers were 
these heavy drugs that, you know, you really only take after an operation or if like you really got a problem and that they have these side effects. And there was no way I wanted to get surgery um, because, you know, it's like, wait, there's gotta be, there's seriously like for this surgery. So I said, no. And at the time I didn't have something else that I knew about to go to. So I was kind of in the void, um, which was scary. And so I went, I kind of just like fumbled around the dark. I was like, I guess maybe I'll try massage. I don't know. Um, So I got this massage therapist. He was a really good guy. Didn't really help, but he said, hey, maybe you should try yoga. So I went and I tried yoga. And I went into a yoga class and I was like, okay, there's something here because my body is not good at this. Like I was semi-athletic. I was all these things I could do. I was very functional. But when it came to holding a lot of these postures, asanas, I was dismal. Um, so I was like, okay, there's something here. So I went, talked to the yoga teacher, said, hey, would you do a private session with me and see if you got something to say? And she said, of course. So we do a private session. She you know, assesses me and basically gives me three asanas or postures to do. So try these every day. Talk to me in a few weeks. So basically within a week and a half, pain was gone completely. And that was great, obviously, but that was a big moment for me because that really opened my mind up to this idea that there is a whole huge healing world outside of the normal medicinal system in the, in the, North, in the North American continent um, and even in the Western European continent. Um, So that was like a big, whoa, whoa, whoa. If that worked, what else works and what more is there? And why don't we have access to these things? And why isn't this being talked about? Um, Because a lot of people in my situation would have gone on the painkillers or they would have done the surgery. Um, And that would have had long ranging consequences to their health and thusly their life. Um, So I went traveling for a while. We could skip all that part. Came back to LA, started a career in real estate, but at the same time, I kept my interest in yoga and eventually met my yoga teacher who I currently have as a yoga teacher. And one day I was looking to change careers. One day he said, have you heard of Ayurveda? And I said, no, what's Ayurveda? I was at the age of 24. He says, it's a sister science to yoga. You should check it out. So I went and checked it out and I was like, oh yeah, that is a great health system. That is like what I imagine health would look like. Um, and so that's how I got into it. Yeah, and and you talk about it so well. So many don't realize that there are other things they can do for their health and just fall into drugs and cover up, like medicine that just covers up the symptoms. So just describe what Ayurvedic medicine is and how it treats the whole system. Yeah, Ayurvedic medicine's holistic, along with traditional Chinese medicine, along with any kind of holistic health practice. And what that is, it's an acknowledgement that your body is a whole entity and that that's the layer of life we live on. We live as a whole being. I walk around my life, not just, I, I'm not just my arm. I'm not just my brain. I'm not just my hair. I'm this whole thing and a whole confluence of experiences coming together to form an, an existence. 
So a holistic medicinal system says if someone's going to be healed, you got to take the whole into account. So yeah, maybe you have a liver issue or maybe you have a cardiac issue, but to just focus on the cardiac issue is going to be hyper-focused to the detriment of the person trying to heal. Meaning one, what caused the cardiac issue? It could be something completely unrelated to the heart that caused the pathology that eventually over many years caused the cardiac issue. Or you could say, sure, maybe my heart's working better, but at the expense of what? Liver, kidneys. So that's when you get, when you get a health system that's the opposite of holistic, you get things like this. Studies show that wine is good for your heart. Red wine, a glass of red wine a day is good for your heart. If you notice, it doesn't comment about the effect of red wine on everything else. And so it's this idea that, yeah, 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 let's make my heart better or let's make my liver better. A holistic system would never take that approach. They would say, how is this system working with itself? So what's affecting the heart and why? What's affecting the liver and why? And now let's get the whole system into a balanced state so that the whole system can thrive. And then that is what we call healthy. Exactly. And does it take into consideration the mental emotional as well? Immensely. And I know that's going to be the uh, primary topic of today, but Ayurveda does not distinguish between the mind and the body in essence. So we can talk about the mind and its functions as part of the whole system, just like we could talk about the body and its functions as part of the whole system. So the body is a piece, the mind's a piece, and they're completely intertwined at all times. Everything that happens with our mind impacts our body and vice versa. And we can get into the details of that. Um, Ayurveda is really old. It's from India or what we now call India. Thousands and thousands and thousands of years old. And Ayurveda and traditional Chinese medicine share common roots. So a lot of healing systems evolve from those common roots. Yeah. So what are the basics of Ayurveda? Like, how do you, how do you treat, is it with uh, botanicals or I know you do a lot of pulse, just describe what, what you do. Sure. The basics of Ayurveda are, yes, there are a lot of botanicals. It's an herbal based uh, health system in the sense that you can use herbs for their qualities to affect the system. So I know you do homeopathy So homeopathy is big on qualities, right? What qualities are being instilled in a medium to be transferred into the body? Ayurveda is very similar in that regard. It's let's take these qualities, hot, cold, light, heavy, rough, dry, smooth, oily, unctuous, those qualities. And the quality of a substance gets ingested. And then that quality starts to pervade throughout the system. And that's the way we would assess a system is by its qualities. Right. So, so system, yeah, like if a system was dry. Then you, you want would, to increase moisture. Yeah. So you would choose a herb that, that did that or a food. That, food that did that in general, right? Of course, it can get more complex than that. Why is the system dry is going to be the first question. Mm-hmm. Because just because your skin's dry doesn't mean you should douse it with oil every day. Although a lot of times that is the remedy, um, but not every time. So I just want to say that because there's a common critique of some of these holistic health systems that they're oversimplified or that there's no science behind them or something like that, which is just completely unfounded. But 
That's why I address it that way. These are extremely sophisticated, nuanced health systems with tomes and tomes and tomes of research, basically, behind them um, that was done during those times. And this idea that, you know, people were kind of scratching their head and, and hitting, you know, like a walnut with a stick to get it open is actually a production of our modern bias and kind of insulting really to what was really going on, um, which were these extremely sophisticated systems of medicine that were happening. Um, so Ayurveda is one of those. And that's why I would never call it alternative medicine. It was a root medicine and then, you know, got called alternative medicine by a modality that wanted to do that. So anyways, long story short, botanicals is one, what you eat, anything you put into your body, anything you drink, all your sense perceptions, which that's when we get big into the mind are part of what we need to take into account when we're keeping our constitution in balance. And that's the big contribution of Ayurveda to health is everyone has a unique constitution that is not the same as the person next to you. And you want to live in accordance with your constitution, not someone else's or not a general idea of what a body should look like or feel like or be like. So that eliminates mass medicine. Someone comes in with an illness, they need to be assessed as they are as an individual and as a unique constitution, not here, take Tylenol and hope it goes away. Right. Like right. For everyone, yeah. no matter what their body is like. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So very right. similar to naturopathic medicine, but homeopathy is extremely individualistic. Like, yeah. You take each person as an individual and they're going to need something completely different. Even if it's a flu, it, it would possibly Even if it's be a flu. completely different remedy than the person that came in an hour before. Right. With the same symptoms. That's the important part. Yeah. So person A comes in and, you know, Ayurveda, there are these words in Ayurveda, vata, pitta, and kapha. Some of the people listening to us, I'm sure have heard those. Others haven't. That's a deep exploration, but those are three natural forces that compose our body in a, as major motifs. Um, so people have different distributions of those doshas. They're called vata, pitta, and kapha. Are all, the three? Each one of those is a dosha, and they're constantly shifting in our body. But there is a balance point, or not maybe not point, but balance sphere. And as long as we stay inside that sphere, we're going to be healthy. The moment that we leave that sphere, we're going to be unhealthy. But that sphere is different for the person who just walked in, like you said, than the person who I saw an hour ago, even if they're presenting the same symptoms. Right. Can you quickly describe those three or is it too complex? Sure. No, I can quickly do it, but know that it's, it yeah, does go a lot deeper. Work. But yeah. vata, vata is a dosha. The primary qualities of vata or the primary quality of vata is movement. So the way in which everything or anything moves through your system is going to be associated with vata. That includes nervous system impulses. That includes how things move through your GI tract. That includes uh, thought movements. All those things are shared in the body. Then pitta. Pitta is how things get transformed. 
and its primary quality is uh, acidity. So acid allows the destruction of one thing so that it can become another. That's pitta. So our metabolism is governed by pitta. Our, our ability to discern, trying to connect the mind and the body, is governed by pitta. My ability to receive information, break it up into its component parts, and then compile it into something new is governed by pitta in the same way if I eat a carrot, it's broken down into its component parts and then transformed into something new. So if my pitta is out of balance, I'm going to experience a mental consequence and a physical consequence. They're not separate. Right. And then kapha is the third one. Kapha deals with growth or tissue formation or stability of structure. So when I start building muscle mass, the actual construction and creation of that final mass is governed by kapha in its stable form. So once it hits a point of stability and maintains that stability is governed by kapha. Just like if I have a belief structure, maybe I'm in a place I don't know, but over time I say, no, this is what I believe. And at a certain point there's like, oh, that's now my belief. It's form. That formation, that structure is held together by the force of kapha. So those are three doshas. Right. In a very <laughs> nutshell, very small nutshell. Yeah, yeah, no, very yeah. good. Yeah, and so to be remained flexible in thought and, you know, I, and in body, I find is one of the things that we need to um, use and work with as we age because our mind can become less flexible which translates into our body. Can you just give us a brief example of what that might translate into Ayurvedic? Yeah, Ayurvedically speaking, a healthy person has a flexible mind and body, meaning that the doshas, all three, vata, pitta, and kapha, are acting in harmony with one another. So that doesn't mean you need to go and be a, you know, a gymnast to be considered flexible. But in general, if you're facing excess rigidity, it's part of a pathology, meaning that some of your doshas are out of balance. The mind has a huge impact on that. It's very common to see a very rigid mind translate into a rigid body and vice versa. But also what's common is you see someone who's hyper-flexible and they're just flexible about everything and they could do anything and anything goes. Ayurvedically speaking, that's also a pathology and a problem. The idea is that there is an authentic point of balance for every person and the mind and body should reflect each other in that way. Yeah. And so just to be aware of where, you know, of, of these things is the first step and then to do something about it is next. The second step. Yeah. Yeah. yeah to actually yeah. do something. Yeah. Um, to make a change because we are all capable of those changes. They're challenging though they may be, but that's why it also helps to have someone neutral, not a family member outside of you as a coach or a um, professional guiding, guiding you along because, you know, we all, everyone does. Coaches have coaches, right? Doctors have doctors. We, we get stuck in our own patterns and we can't see the other side, but someone else isn't stuck where we're stuck. So to them, it's bright as day. And it's like, hey, 
you know, you're stuck here. Maybe we should go over here a little bit. And that's going to free up not only the mind, but the body. Yeah, exactly. I find if I start to get stiff in my body, I'll just start to stretch. And then that automatically affects the mind. But where should we go from here? Should we go into vagus nerve? Because that's a fascinating topic and you're brilliant at it. Yeah, the the vagus nerve is, is again, one of those very beautiful, vast uh, subjects with so many layers, but we can get the heart of it, you know, just here. So what is the vagus nerve? The vagus nerve is the biggest nerve in our body. It's a little bit interesting that we're not taught about it as just a general part of learning about our body. Um, Won't dive into that here, but take note of that as a listener. It's like, so this biggest nerve in the body that has this massive impact on our life never talked about um, until you find out about it somehow. So it connects. It's a physical nerve. It's not some energetic pathway or anything like that. It's a physical nerve. Uh, been known about for a long, long, long time, thousands and thousands of years. It connects all our sense organs to our brain. It, though I am speaking right now because partly because of the vagus nerve connects to my voice box. Heart, lung, spleen, liver, pancreas, gallbladder, small intestine, large intestine, reproductive organs, every major organ is connected to, and it's a two-way street. So the organs can communicate with my brain, my brain can communicate with my organ, and everything can communicate with everything on this superhighway called the vagus nerve. And there's a, you can look, if you type in vagus nerve, you can look up images of it, very easy to see. It is so crucial and so important to our health because it is the mind-body connection. Because it's the connection between our sense perceptions and our body. So my stomach, in a way, is hearing, seeing, feeling, smelling the world because I get these sense perceptions. And then based on my sense perceptions, information is sent to my stomach. And then my body changes its, its physiology based on what is perceived. And that's the key word, perceived, not real. And that's where we get into the big world of health and healing when it comes to the mind and the body. If I walk down the street and I'm feeling good, I'm in my parasympathetic nervous system. The parasympathetic nervous system is the nervous system that the vagus nerve is a part of. And it deals with digestion. It deals with sleep. It deals with rest. It deals with rejuvenation. It deals with social interaction. The ability that we're making eye contact and smiling and having a good conversation where we both feel safe and happy, parasympathetic nervous system. The sympathetic nervous system is when I'm walking down the street and I see someone, I don't feel safe. They're walking down the street. They got a nasty look on their face. Their hands are in their pocket. They're wearing a trench coat and it's 80 degrees out. And I'm like, whoa threat. They're wearing sunglasses. I can't see the look in their eyes. And I, you know, I've heard the stories of the school stuff. And so that person is a perceived threat. Whether they actually do something that threatens me is irrelevant. Perceived threat. 
my, my physiology now completely changes. I go into my sympathetic nervous system. My resources move away from my digestive system. They move away from healing tissue. They move away from being able to socially interact properly. And now they are all geared towards where are the other threats in my environment? Do I have enough resources going to my extremities in case I need to fight, flee, or freeze? What Now I'm assessing the environment, not for where's my next source of food, I'm hungry, but how do I get away from this threat? How do I deal with this threat? Is that threatening over there? Is that threatening over there? Can I run into the street right now? Are there cars coming? What's behind me? Everything changes. And now I'm stressed. My heart rate has increased. My breath rate has increased. My blood sugar has increased. All these things. So I walk down the street and I make a decision. I make the decision to walk across the street, create distance between myself and the perceived threat, and hopefully nothing happens. And let's say I go. That's, that's what happens. Person in a trench coat walked by, never even noticed, right? Whew. I take a sigh of relief. I feel better. I calm down. If my vagus nerve is working properly, it will transition me back into my parasympathetic nervous system. And my digestion turns back on. I get hungry again. You know, my breath rate lowers, my heart rate lowers. I look at the next person walking down the street and they smile and I smile and it's all good. That's a ba very basic example of how it works. How is that not mind-body? That's all mind-body. And the truth is that has more of an effect on my body than the protein drink I drank earlier, which by the way, I don't advise that you drink, but way more impact on my body than the nutrients I counted. And by the way, got stressed out about while I counted. Exactly, <laughs> exactly right? Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. We, we underplay the mind-body connection as though they're like fairies traveling between our mind and our body, or that's reserved for people who only believe in energy medicine or something like that. Not true. All the original healing systems emphasize the mind-body. Yeah, including homeopathy, what you're saying. So, and it gets crazier because many people stay in this stress state. Like yeah, you nailed 15, it. 15, 20 hours a day because yep, that's can't get the out. life we live in and never go into parasympathetic. So they, they stay in hyperdrive. Yeah, and just a, a modification there, just so that I don't want our listeners to go out and say, well, wait, she said this and it's yes, in general, while we're talking, yes, what you said is completely true. Technically, if you never go into your parasympathetic nervous system, you die. So people are going in, but the amount of time they're spending in their parasympathetic nervous system is not nearly what it should be. They're getting, they're stressed out and they're staying stressed and they're moving from one threat to another. And it's all perceived, right? Oh my God, I'm so stressed at work. My boss is going to fire me. Oh my God, my partner's going to divorce me. Oh my God, my kids hate me. Oh my God, my bank account's going to run empty. And once, you're, once you see a threat, you're much more likely to perceive other threats in the environment. That's why it's so hard to kind of get out of that tailspin. And a lot of times it takes someone who we call a co-regulator 
or someone who kind of knows the ins and outs of you a little bit to come and say, Hey, Hey, Jane, Hey, Victor. Whoa. Look at me. I'm here. You're all right. Take a deep breath. Key word there. Deep breath. Calm down. Not now there's a, there's a manipulative way to say calm down and there's an authentic way to say calm down, right? So just because I'm angry doesn't mean I need to calm down. But if I'm in a tailspin of stress and I'm seeing that the world is this like terrible, horrible place and it's not, I need to calm down for my own well-being. But let's not villainize the sympathetic nervous system either. Because if there is a real threat, you should go into your sympathetic nervous system and you should deal with that threat in whatever way you're going to deal with it. It's the continuous exposure to the sympathetic nervous system when it's not called for that creates the health problems. Yeah. Yeah. And we can often get triggered. The unconscious mind can get triggered and go into that state without us even being aware of it. Oh, most of the time, most of the time, that's Mm -hmm. what happens. And it takes practice. And that's another wonderful thing that a lot of these holistic health systems offer. It takes practice to learn how to recognize when you just made the switch. Because it's a lot easier to come back from that than it is when you're like 10 miles down the road and you're about to explode your life because you're just like freaking out because of whatnot. Yeah. Or you're depressed and you've been depressed for days now and you don't even know why. If you could have caught that at the very beginning and switched to your parasympathetic nervous system, you can avoid the rest of the pathology. Yeah. Exactly. What are some of the the good ways? Let's look at just depression. Is that a good one? Because often you can get caught in it for days, but if you recognize it, you can do some beautiful things for yourself and, and pull yourself back out again quickly. Yeah. And and let's, um, you know, depression is a clinical word. So, Mm -hmm. and I don't want to, I don't like to water down clinical words by applying it to everyone. Same thing with trauma or anxiety or, uh, well, anxiety is a little bit safer, but you know, ADHD, it's like someone says, I have ADHD when they can't focus for 20 minutes. And it's like, no, you don't have ADHD. You just weren't able to focus for 20 minutes. There's a big difference. Yeah. So let's move away from the word depression and talk about the word, let's say, feeling really down for an extended period of time. Because that doesn't mean you're depressed clinically. Exactly. That just means that there's something happening. So mind body. First off, a lot of times people in that, not every time, a lot of times people in that position, they have heavy diets. They eat heavy, heavy, heavy. Their mind is heavy. Everything's heavy. The world's heavy. They have a hard time getting up from all the weight. They're dragging themselves through things. They have a feeling of fatigue. It's like they're moving through water. Kapha. It's all kapha dosha stuff. So you want to, in Ayurveda, you want to then apply the opposite, which is, we'll just say the opposite in this case, is you're going to increase their metabolic fire. Fire being the metaphor we use. You're going to actually invigorate their system so that it could metabolize the heaviness that they've been ingesting both mentally and physically. And then the way we go about doing that is very nuanced and individualistic. That's just a broad stroke there because we have to talk about it in some way. 
So you first thing you look at is because we've been talking about how the mind affects the body. What about how the body affects the mind? So if I eat something that gives me a digestive disturbance, that's going to create stress in my mind. And then my mind will typically attach that to something external. But really the stress was never caused by something external. It was caused by something I ate that is now manifesting as a mental stress. Because remember that vagus nerve is a two-way highway, not a one-way highway. So depression, it's like, okay, I'm depressed. Why? Or I'm sad. Sorry, I broke my own rule. I'm sad. Why? Well, you know, I just haven't gotten this promotion at work and I was supposed to get a promotion and it hasn't happened yet. And I'm really sad because I need that money because, and a story is told. That's fine. But also, what have you been eating? ice cream and donuts and, you know, pasta and, oh yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I eat it really late at night and, you know, it just makes me kind of like, I just kind of makes me feel calmer. And then I just go to sleep. Well, the comfort foods, right? Comfort foods. Exactly. Right. Heavy French fries, (laughs) French fries, whatever your thing is. And so it's like, okay, so let's work on that. And a lot of times, if they're willing. And, you know, again, this is just a broad stroke example. Of course, it's more nuanced than this. Let's pretend that that person lightens up their diet. A lot of times it's like, how you feel today? Oh, I feel great. How do you feel about that promotion you haven't gotten yet? Because they still haven't gotten it. Yeah, you know, that's annoying. Notice a different word, not sad, annoying, right? That's annoying, but I'm working on it. Also notice now there's an active approach to that same problem. Whereas before it was just like, yeah, I'm resigned. Uh, So there's a big difference between those two states. Now take the opposite. I'm so anxious and I'm like so wound up and I can't stop moving and I can't stop. And you know, it's like, I don't even know what the problem is. And like, ah, Okay, what have you been eating? Um, I eat salad and I'm on a raw vegan diet. And, you know, actually, I, 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 I only eat like 1,200 calories a day because I'm supposed to lose weight. And, you know, like, you see, there's a, too much lightness. There's not enough heaviness. There's not enough of the opposite. There's too much movement. There's too much activity. There's too much everything. Okay, let's add some heaviness into that diet. Eat, eat a piece of pasta. I'm allergic to wheat. I can't eat a, eat some rice pasta, or I guess that'd be the same project problem, right? Gluten, uh, eat, eat some quinoa pasta. It's like, Oh, okay. But aren't I going to gain weight? It's like, yeah, but try, yes, you will. And please, please gain a few pounds, you know, like, okay, 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 okay. Of course there's an underlying issue to all that, of course. But if the diet changes, then maybe part 50% of that issue it turns into, how do you feel? Well, I still feel pretty anxious, but you know, I feel better. I feel a little bit calmer and maybe I'm still, maybe they're still moving, but they're not at like that, like times 10. Yeah. Rounded, right? Exactly. So applying the opposite. Yeah. I've always believed in listening to what your body needs every day and, and with eating with balance rather than going on diets and, you know, that kind of thing comments? <laughs> yeah, the comments. I mean, I love doing, I like, I like myth busting. Um, because I think that those myths are harmful uh, to people. 
And I would prefer someone doesn't experience the rude awakening that, you know, when, whenever something comes out that says you do this one diet and it will work. It's like big red flag, huge, massive, gargantuan red flag. Any kind of diet that is supposed to work for everyone is a marketing ploy. It's not true. It's never been true and it will never be true. Now, what? then someone says, well, what about an Ayurvedic diet, right? Well, okay, but an Ayurvedic diet is that you're going to eat these types of foods based on you and you're going to eat a completely different collection of foods based on you. Not like, you know, only eat raw vegan and that's what everyone should do. Terrible idea, awful, atrocious idea. But that's what people do. Yeah. So that mindset, that mindset of there's this one pill, there's this one diet, there's this one herb, there's this one supplement, there's this one thought that I need to have that when I have it, I'll unlock my whole life. And as if I can just get that one thought, but I haven't gotten it yet, that one thing, delete, erase, get it out. That's not the way it works. Yeah. Right. We're so much more complex than that. And so much more. And flowing. Things change daily. Yeah. And that there's a beauty in that because, you know, it's like, then you get to really dive into the creation of your health and your body and your mind, which is like, you know, I know of course there are exceptions where there are painters who paint something in a day, but in general, any creation that's been praised that we ourselves would praise as this incredible creation was done with a savoring or a, you know, whole range of experiences and very intentionally and very, you know, like with a whole thing involved. And that's what our bodies are. I mean, that's what our minds are. They're not these things that are just like, okay, it's changed. Great. Now I can move on with everything else I want to do because I don't want to deal with this and I don't want to deal with this. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Well, that, that, that in and of itself is something that's going to create a problem in the body, that attitude. Yeah. But we have been programmed to think like that, haven't we? Yeah, our, our culture has largely uh, touted that. Um, and it's like, it's just not the way to go. I don't know how else to say it. I mean, yeah. sure, I could come up with examples, but then I'd just be kind of like beating a dead horse. Um, <laughs> and I'm a vegetarian, so I, I wouldn't do that anyways. But, um, you know, like that's just, yeah, those mindsets are not healing mindsets. We have a medicinal system in the West at this point that's largely based on symptom management, not root cause resolution. And other forms of health that have existed for a long time are not the same. It's a very different approach. It's very much heal from the root, heal from the core. Great, let's address the symptom, but that doesn't mean you're done and now like, wham, bam, I collect your whatever dollars and thank you, see you next time maybe. No, it's like, let's create a relationship. That's another big deal with the vagus nerve and the world is suffering from extreme isolation issues right now. Depression's at an all-time high and not coincidentally, diabetes is at an all-time high. Those two things are connected. 
Well, like you said, if you're stressed, blood sugar goes up, right? Like it's. Yep. Without ever having eaten a piece of anything, your blood sugar will spike simply because of the mind body connection. Yeah. So you can't like, I, I deal with diabetes a lot in my clinic or people who are, have been diagnosed as diabetic from a Western model and Ayurveda, there are 17 forms of diabetes, not two. And, um, someone comes in, you can't just give them a diet and think it's going to be okay. You have to start addressing some of the root cause habits and patterns that are existing in the mind if that person's ever going to have a chance of resolving their blood sugar issues. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a magic pill just isn't going to resolve any of it. Never has. And hey, I won't say never will because I don't know, but I doubt it. If I were a betting man. <laughs> Maybe yeah. momentarily. Right? Maybe for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay. So before you go, Tell us about the, you're doing a book that's un, unveiling the mystery around pulse taking. Is that what it's about? Yeah. So I recently actually got released today on Amazon. Um, it's called Pulse Unveiled, the art and science of Ayurvedic pulse reading. And it is a beautifully illustrated manual of how to learn how to read pulses Ayurvedically. Um, Chinese medicine is a very similar method of pulse reading. There are some nuances, but the the whole point of the book is it's great for anyone who's in the healing or diagnostic world who wants to learn an art and science that can really is an incredible um, art and science of of diagnostics. Um, pulse reading is not just 68 beats a minute and maybe the blood pressure is high or low. There are layers. There's ways to assess the internal organs. There's ways to assess vata pitta kapha, the subsets of vata pitta kapha, I mean, it's a full-on exploration of that whole modality. Um, I teach a workshop on it in June online. So anyone interested in that can contact me. Um, Anyone interested in doing one-on-one clinical work with me can contact me. And it's easy to get a hold of me. IIAyurveda.com. And that's the letter I, letter I. And then Ayurveda is A-Y-U-R-V as in Victor, E, D as in dog, A as in apple.com. And just really easy to get a hold of me. And I'm, I'm here, I'm available, I'm accessible. And I'm ready to connect the minds and bodies in all different directions and work on the vagus nerve with you. Yeah, beautiful. And, you know, you can learn so much by pulse, by tongue, by looking in someone's eyes. Like they're like the cosmos of what's going on in the whole body. Absolutely. Valuable. Beautiful. Anything you'd like to leave our listeners with? That take a minute if you've listened to this and reflect on your own own stance on where you fall and, and how you treat your health and what you believe health is. And see if you want to take another step in the direction of learning about your body and mind um, to enrich your own life. And it really does. I mean, it's extremely enriching and it, it's amazing how much it affects your internal environment when, when we change our internal environment. It's like magic. Exactly. Yeah. I'm putting, I'm putting a small book out called Jane's empowered handbook and it's on cell salts and homeopathy so that people can start to understand how they work mind body. Cause it usually has a mental emotional component and these 17 remedies 
just yeah i need to i need to talk to you about the cell salts so after this yeah. okay yeah. yeah they're one of my specialties the 12 salts yeah. and people can use them so easily so you could teach people about that too but that's yeah amazing. ayurveda uses minerals a lot and yeah. um so that whole mineral world's important too but another time yeah <laughs> we could go on <laughs> forever Thank you so much, Victor. That was really informative. Really beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You really had a good time. And for everyone out there, don't forget, don't give away your power to anyone else. Be the creator of your own life. Spiral up, spiral out. <laughs>